0: Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Wednesday, the 28th of June, with me, Bernadette Anderko. For those of you who were listening yesterday, you'll know that we had Dario Messi here discussing our top fixed income research calls as we enter the second half of the year. Today, we're going to be joined by Roman Frey to explain how we put these calls into practice. But first, as always, we'll have a roundup of what's been moving markets with my colleague, Jonty Warris. Good morning, Jonty.
1: Hi there. Good morning, Bernadette.
0: Well, first up, uh, I see that we had some rather encouraging data out of the US yesterday with the release of uh, the durable and capital goods orders data. Perhaps you could fill us in on the details there.
1: That's right. Yes, the uh, durable goods orders for May rose by 1.7%, which was much better than the forecast, minus 0.9%. And a US Commerce Department report also showed the orders for non-defence capital goods, which excludes aircraft, increased by 0.7% in May, while economists there had forecast that orders would stay flat. This report acts as a closely watched proxy for business spending plans and sentiment. We also saw new uh, home sales rising faster than expected to 763,000 units. And importantly, uh, US consumer confidence data also came in well ahead of expectations. So like you say, Bernadette, yes, all in all, some very encouraging signs.
0: So what we're really seeing then is some surprising economic resilience in the US. And uh, surely this also tells us that the Federal Reserve's got further to go in tightening monetary policy. So how did markets react
1: to the news? Yes, well, really quite positively. The major stock indices in the US closed higher yesterday, ending near the best levels following last week's index declines. Mega cap stocks recovered and the upbeat capital goods order data managed to allay fears of a slowing US economy in the face of the Fed's aggressive interest rate hiking campaign. The S&P 500 index closed up 1.1% yesterday with 10 of its 11 sectors returning positive results, continuing the index's winning streak. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 fared even better, closing up 1.7%. US treasuries were weaker and we saw some curve flattening. And in overnight trading, US two-year yields added one bit to 476, while 10-year yields are steady trading at 377.
0: Okay, so that's the US equity and bond markets. What about the other asset classes?
1: Yes, in currency trading yesterday, uh, we saw the US dollar fare better versus the yen, but lagging the euro and the pound sterling. But overnight, the yen's decline towards 1.45 per dollar was reversed after Japan's top currency official Masato Kanda said that authorities will not fail to intervene if the currency moves become excessive. China, on the other hand, stood back from supporting the ailing yuan for a third day, which has triggered further declines. And elsewhere, gold finished down half percent while WTI crude tumbled 2.4%. Bitcoin futures were up, though, 1.5%.
0: Okay, so if we move on to this morning, I see we've also had data out of Asia Pacific that's of interest to investors. What can you tell us there?
1: Yes, correct. We had some data come in overnight out of China where industrial profits for May fell 12.6 year on year. Uh, But at the same time, we saw South Korean retail sales rise by almost 6% in May and Korean consumer confidence improved further in June. Um, Over in Australia, inflation is more than expected in May, which caused the Australian dollar to hit a three-week low. And this data may bolster the case for the Reserve Bank of Australia to pause its 14-month tightening cycle at next week's meeting. Asian equities are trading mixed so far in today's trading session. The Nikkei and the ASX are well up by over 1%, uh, while the Hang Seng, the Kospi and the Shanghai Composite were all trading in the red when I checked a moment ago.
0: Okay, thanks for that, Jonty. So now looking forwards, uh, what can we expect for the day ahead?
1: Well, we've just seen German consumer confidence data come in where numbers came in weaker than expected. Um, After eight consecutive increases, the consumer climate has now suffered its first setback, it seems. Later this morning, we can expect US goods trade balance data and market participants will also be focusing on the ECB forum being held in the Portuguese town of Sintra, where speakers today will include the US Fed Chair Jerome Powell, the ECB's Christine Lagarde, the Bank of Japan's Kazuo Ueda and the Bank of England's Andrew Bailey. In earnings, US semiconductor firm Micron is scheduled to report after market and a quick look at the Futures Board shows the US set to open in the red later today. And that's all from me for today, Bernadette.
0: Okay, thanks for joining the show and filling us in on the markets news, John T. Now, uh, Daria Messi led us through Julius Baer's fixed income calls for the Mid-Year Market Outlook yesterday. As a reminder for listeners, uh, we like long-dated quality investment-grade bonds um, as a diversifier and to lock in some of those attractive yields. And to add some credit risk into a portfolio, we recommend buying quality emerging market issuers in hard currencies. Short-dated lower investment-grade bonds can also be added to take advantage of currently high short-term rates, And of course, the Swiss franc is one of those hard currencies that offers safe haven status. We move on from the theory to the practice today, as we're lucky enough to be joined by Roman Frey, who heads up our fixed income investment management team. Good morning, Roman, and thanks for being here.
2: Good morning, Bernadette. Thanks for having me.
0: So perhaps I could start by asking you what your take on the bond markets is at the moment.
2: Well, we are quite enthusiastic about the bond market at the moment because we we simply believe it's a fantastic time to invest into bonds. You might remember, at the end of last year, we called it a once in a decade opportunity. And despite some positive bond returns year to date, this opportunity is still there. The predictable income you can get from bonds these days has not been so good in 15 years. Uh, in US dollar, for instance, bonds now pay coupons that are uh, well above long term inflation, uh, even if inflation was to stay closer to 3 and than 2%. So. Even the real yield, so the income you can generate after accounting for inflation, is nicely positive. So as you can see, Bernadette, the the forward-looking return expectations of bonds have improved substantially, and this is exactly what we are so excited about.
0: Okay, so now then looking at our research department's main calls, how does the call for longer-dated quality issuers actually translate into practice for you? Do you go as long as possible to lock in the regularity of those coupons, or am I being... Too simplistic in my thinking. It's probably a bit more nuanced than that, right?
2: Well, first of all, I, I fully agree with my research colleagues uh, on the call for quality duration. Because locking in these currently very attractive yields, I believe, makes a lot of sense. Uh, just think of this. Uh, these days, you can buy, for instance, a quality investment-grade US dollar bond with a fixed coupon of 5 to 6%. Holding such a bond for the coming five years will provide you with a cumulative income of 25 to 30%. And this does not incorporate any potential capital gains in case interest rates will not stay that high for longer. Uh, And that's the reason why I believe this is not a bad deal for an asset class with relatively low volatility. Now, in terms of how long we lock in these yields, of course, always depends on either specific or individual client needs or respective benchmarks. However, on a, on a relative basis, so that means in comparison to strategic asset allocations and benchmarks, uh, we currently like to have a bit of a duration overweight. Okay,
0: so I see why we say uh, long duration, but... I mean, with short-dated yields where they are now, don't you ever get asked, why don't you just buy T-bills?
2: Oh, this is a good point. Uh, Thanks for raising this, Bernadette, because we often get this question these days. Uh, No doubt, cash or T-bills are currently yielding nicely. And of course, there is nothing wrong about buying T-bills, not at all. Uh, However, solely relying on cash yields might be a bit short-sighted, given the fact that you're locking these attractive yields only for a short period of time. And uh, as soon as your, for instance, T-bill matures, uh, you're running a reinvestment risk and the yields may not be that attractive anymore in three to six months' time. Uh, On the other hand, and as I mentioned before, with buying a five-year quality bond, you can lock in these uh, juicy yields for the years to come. So in general, it it goes back to a question of portfolio construction. T-bills and short-term low-investment grade bonds are appealing in a portfolio context. Uh, That's clear. Uh, For our clients, we like to construct portfolios with a a staggered maturity profile. Uh, Therefore, we also include shorter term bonds, uh, not only due to the yield, but also for the reason of having a constant refresh rate in the portfolio.
0: Okay, so thank you for explaining that. Um, Now we turn to the emerging market issuer call. I've noticed specific mention in the research notes of high quality Asian issuers and the investment grade issuers of the Middle East. Perhaps you could explain a little bit more about your investment process there.
2: We have liked emerging market corporate bonds in hard currency for quite a while now. Uh, therefore, we we opened an overweight allocation in our strategies earlier this year. The main reason for this is uh, strong market technicals, where the net supply of emerging market corporate bonds is expected to shrink by uh, more than 100 billion this year. And the demand side is likely to stay healthy, notably due to the solid corporate fundamentals and, of course, uh, the very attractive yields. So in terms of implementing such a call into the portfolios we manage, uh, I believe it is of great importance to follow a systematic investment process, which typically starts with asset allocation. Uh, So this answers the question of positioning versus strategic weights or versus benchmarks. Uh, So having an an under or an overweight allocation. Afterwards, we look at uh, the dimension of uh, which regions and sectors offer best value and why. And finally, it is the time to look at the individual credits, so the underlying corporates. Um, Here we really look under the hood of the companies by reading research, listening to investor calls, or even directly talking to the companies. And I believe this eventually puts us into a good position to achieve the best outcome for our clients.
0: Roman, thank you so much for joining me today and telling us how you turn the theory into practice. That's it for today's podcast. Thank you all for joining us. Please do tune in again tomorrow when Helen Freer will be joined by our research analysts to discuss everything that's been moving markets. Good luck today and goodbye for now.
2: The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to wwwjuliusbearcom forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.
0: Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical
2: advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.